Rugby Roundup. It's only Monday, but we're already back in the studio with me, Gareth Hanna, or Adam McCandry. Hey, guys. And Jonathan Bradley. Hello. Jonathan, we've taken you back. Would you Would you like to apologise um, for what you did last week and subsequently getting kicked off the end of the podcast? I mean, there has to be some sort of comeback on, on betrayal. There's, uh, there's no apology. I mean... Mm-hmm. I felt a bit like Steve Jobs when I got kicked out of Apple for that time. You know, you start something and then all of a sudden two upstarts come in and you're gone. It was, uh, well, that's him off the end of this week's podcast as well. We're a forgiven button, so uh, we've brought him back. Um, and, yeah, so still no Ulster games to talk about. So um, we've, we've uh, Ulster who very kindly gave us uh, plenty to talk about over the weekend um, when after Jonathan's pop a couple of weeks ago on the sport team's own media outlets and then last week we had the discussion about Shane Logan and how he should come out and say something so over the weekend Ulster being the good sports they are uh, gave us plenty to discuss on both those topics um, when the Ulster Rugby's official media outlets released the lengthy interview with Shane Logan so what what exact what the, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's yeah. hard to know what way to approach it, really. What, what indeed? What indeed? <laughs> where to, so where it, to begin? For, for anybody who's not really au fait with what's happened over the weekend, um, as Jonathan wrote in the paper this morning, you may have missed it. You were supposed to. Um, also released, a, what was it, 13-minute interview with Shane Logan at 5 o'clock on Saturday when there was, very coincidentally, another big sporting rugby event happening um, with, with Ireland just beating... Uh, Scotland and Jacob Stockdale scoring his two tries so if you missed it uh, that's why um, it's amazing how that worked out wasn't it uh, very coincidental yeah. this very is really this is really your this was your gripe about um, <laughs> sports social media accounts isn't it just summed up in one fell swoop it was I mean in terms of copy for what I was trying looking for an excuse to write it was brilliant because <laughs> it actually just gave me an excuse to put into print the rants that I've been going on for the last couple of weeks so for that and that alone I mean we have to say thanks to that (laughs) but just the brass neck of it to stick it out at five o'clock in between Ireland beating Scotland and essentially in the middle of Ireland winning a Six Nations title to put it out then it's one of these things that you know in all this sort of American political dramas that you see on TV, yeah. they always have these Friday news dumps and they think they're being clever. It's like, everyone else watches The West Wing too. Like, we all know what <laughs> you're at. Like, you just weren't going to slip that through and it was going to go unnoticed. And I just think, having spoken a few weeks ago about the John O'Gibbs and season ticket holders thing and how it was a disingenuous way to treat your fans, that's, again, how I feel about the timing of that. I'm not going to talk about the content because talking about the content of what's essentially a PR release isn't really in the spirit of what a newspaper is meant to do. It's not journalism to just verbatim quote what's essentially a speech from on high rather than any sort of interview, calling it an interview's um, not what it is because they knew what the questions were. They decided the questions. There was no opportunity for follow-up questions, obviously. Uh, so it's essentially a piece-to-camera speech more than anything else. So 
again, I just find it very, very disappointing way to treat your fans and essentially having listened to what was said on Thursday night, your consumers. Well, you said in this morning's um, column that uh, you felt it was a, a, an insult to the supporters' intelligence. I mean, it was pretty hard-hitting stuff. What what have those supporters been, been saying about it? Is there any sort of feedback yet coming from uh, the terraces, as it were? I saw this on my way out of Lansdowne, or, or sorry, on my way out of the Aviva. <laughs> and at first, because it was the Ravenhill Roar Twitter account that tweeted it out and I saw it and assumed it was going to be a parody, like one of those downfall things or something. <laughs> and I went into it and I was like, oh no, wait, this is uh, this is genuinely something that's been done here. Like at five o'clock on a Saturday, a Six Nations Saturday, Ireland are winning the title for the third time in five years and it's just slipped out there like no one's going to notice. And the fans wanted one, from what I can, from the fans that I've been speaking to, and I don't want to say that like you can ever ascribe one voice to the fans or anything like that because it's obviously a disparate group. There were a few people on Twitter to me saying, I don't understand what your problem is. But the majority of people that I spoke to wanted a few things from Shane Logan. One, the fact that he could be seen in a time of, let's be honest about it, crisis for Ulster Rugby. And two, accountability. And you can't have accountability if you know what the questions are in a stage-managed interview, that's not accountability, that's a press release. And it's something that we've seen before in sports. It's something that we're seeing at times in politics. There's no accountability there. And that, to me, is very, very disappointing. And from what I can tell from the fans that have been speaking on Twitter and on social media. Unfortunately, the forum's dying at the minute, so we can't uh, can't find out what their view is or get any listener questions, which is unfortunate. But uh, just a straw poll of the opinions of fans, obviously not scientific, but I don't think anyone's too impressed, and nor do I think anybody should be, because it was it was fairly transparent in my mind, the timing of that, regardless of what you want to say about how it was done or regardless of what you want to say about the content. I just think the timing didn't give enough respect to a group of people who were always going to see through that tactic. Well, mention the, the content of it, Adam. Um, was there anything there to take away with, or anything, any sort of what, what's the reaction to what actually was said aside from the timing of it? Yeah, I I went and listened to it, and there's just I came away with a page full of stuff that I was just questioning. I mean. Things that more galling to me was the fact that he didn't address the fact that there's going to be an upcoming review. He didn't mention anything at all about that. And we've said on here we're not going to put uh, all our stock into that. But it wasn't mentioned at all. The freeze on season ticket prices wasn't mentioned at all. Player recruitment and coaching recruitment. There was a little bit of sort of avoiding the question um, whenever those were asked. So like one of the quotes which stuck out to me right at the very start was um, about the commercial revenue. He says, our commercial revenue is one of the best in Europe, which allows us to invest. And then he said, and compete long term, <laughs> which I just I just could not believe, given the position we're in at the moment, because if the commercial revenue is so good, how come Ulster have not set themselves up in a position to compete long term? How come they're in this position 
Um, stuff like he says he's not been keeping a low profile. Well, this is the first we've heard from him in months. Um, and even then, it's a uh, it's an Ulster-controlled piece where, as Johnny said, there's no follow-up questions. There's uh, you know he's not allowed to be, really be questioned on anything, and he can prepare all his answers. Um, <clears throat> you know, why can't he not just set up a media briefing himself if he feels like um, he needs to answer these questions? You know, say to the media, "This is our time." Um, you can come and answer. You can come and ask your questions. Um, so the, it just left such a sour taste in your mouth uh, that such a controlled speech, as Johnny put it, was given to the fans at the time it was. And in terms of the content, you know, there's not really any concrete answers that people were looking for. Yeah. I like I I honestly wouldn't give the content the time of day like there was there was stuff in it that for me in my mind would have warranted follow up questions and if you don't give people the opportunity to question the assertions that you're making then they're meaningless I mean that's yeah. it's Pravda stuff to be perfectly honest like when there have been interview requests made and there. Re- there have been reasons given for him not being able to do them and not just him not being able to do them this is a much wider issue my focus here isn't on Shane Logan in isolation oh. and that might just be that this might come across as journalist moaning when you want to talk to somebody and you're not given the opportunity to and then they appear on so, official so- social media channels and I understand that when I talk about this before people maybe think it is just a reporter griping about this job but this is what you get when that's allowed to happen you get figures of authority and that goes for any walk of life not just sporting organisations you get figures of authority who are allowed to give a message unchallenged uh, like without being too de- without being too dramatic about the whole thing, like in any other walk of life, if this was politics, that would be undemocratic, essentially, and that's what you have when this kind of thing is allowed to go, and that's why in the paper we took the stance that we weren't going to cover the content, we were going to cover the actual timing and nature of the release. So there's there's uh, no prospect of any follow up interviews or anything then in the pipeline. Um. Probably not. Um, Johnny would know better than I would, so I feel quite bad for <laughs> answering this question. But I say you, you know, probably we'll, we'll, know better than I do at the minute. Well, You're probably uh, in more contact than I am. Yeah, that's that's probably true. <laughs> but look, I mean, the Ulster will just say, "We, she and Logan has spoken. That that's all you're getting, and for them, that's all they want to do. And you know, that's that's their choice." But until someone from outside the organisation is allowed to ask the questions that people want answered and then to back that up with follow-up questions, you're not going to get the answers you want. And even listening to the, to the answers that he did give, there are so many things that you just want to say, well, hang on, hang on, I want to come back to that. They're, they're, like there's statements made that need facts and figures attached to yeah. them. There's assertions made that are too broad that need to be defined. Yeah. And those are the kind of things... Like, that interview, to me, was done and the questions were planned and he 
mm-hmm. was no doubt aware of them, and then he was allowed to answer them in whatever way he wanted. Everything came and across the scripted. That's that's not an interview. That's a speech. Mm-hmm. An interview. More important than the questions that you ask in an interview is listening to the answers mm-hmm. and responding to them accordingly. You can't go in with a list of questions and not deviate from that. There was one of the questions where the answer, sorry, one of the questions with questions put in quotation marks, where the answer didn't quite run in right. And I, it just sort of seemed to me like he's either been asked a different question and has been has given this answer, or he's just gone straight in off something else. So for for me, I I just can't believe they've done this. The, there needs to be some sort of openness to say, you guys come in and ask your questions, just for that degree of transparency. It's not like it's not a Shane Logan thing, and I know mm. Shane Logan at the minute is not a popular man with Ulster fans, but the issue here to me that we're discussing isn't Shane Logan it's mm-hmm. an issue of free press mm-hmm. essentially and especially coupled with the timing of it like I, I still can't get over the timing of it I, I, I'd i love to know why that was thought to be a good idea like do they think nobody was going to think that maybe there'd been some sort of link between what was going on elsewhere and the timing of that. Well, even even if you look at how it was promoted on social media, the timing is horrendous. But then it's just put in as a really small post. It's not like there wasn't even a picture attached. There wasn't anything. It was just watch Shane Logan addresses recent issues with a small link. The, it wasn't even popularised as, okay, fans, here's some answers that you've been looking for or what we're going to try and pass off as answers to what you're, you've been asking. This was just thrown in there as something that people might scroll past thinking, oh, it's one of their Instagram posts or something like well, that. probably scroll past and post something about enjoying their uh, Six Nations clinching mm. pints more than anything <laughs> else. Um, so just to, to clarify then and uh, to wrap it up, as um, the, the media have had requests to talk to, to Shane, or put in requests to talk to Shane uh, in recent sort of history. I th- like I first requested an interview with Shane Logan during the Ruin Pinar saga and was told that it wasn't possible then and there's been requests made since um, and I know it's for a fact that other media organisations have made a request and similar to the answer given there about Pinar, it was it's not a good time Hmm. I I was speaking to a member of another media organisation on Saturday night and they told me that after it was announced Jono was going they had tried to get an interview with Bryn Cunningham and were told that wasn't possible and after a lot of uh, after a lot of discussions, they finally got it. It's, it's a case of just be open. Let, let the media talk to people because you're closing people off. Well, I'm sure Ulster Rugby would say they do put plenty of people up for, for interview every week. I mean, there's coaches and players to talk to every week 
Um, but uh, Shane Logan has not been interviewed by any of the, the media recently and all we have heard uh, is his uh, interview with the official outlet. So um, we'll move on to our listener questions. Um, we do invite your questions and we do discuss those weekly. So um, we have a couple this week. Uh, as we've said, the forums are down so we can't get any from Bart and the boys on there. But we do have a couple from Twitter. Uh, the first one... Um, Stu just got in in time before we started recording. He asks, um, would a season in the Challenge Cup really be that bad? Um, uh, sort of highlights that playing in a competition in um, which young players might actually get a few wins rather than getting beat by the likes of Saracens might not be the worst thing in the world. Um, what do we think? Um, from a financial point of view, it would be terrible because <laughs> the... Uh the money doesn't quite reach the standards of the Champions Cup for uh, for obvious reasons. From a team perspective, it it mightn't be a bad thing to give young guys a bit of exposure to a higher level of rugby and you're able to rest your squad a bit more. But from a financial perspective, to get people to buy season tickets, to get people to come and see top stars from other teams now you need to be in the Champions Cup and if Ulster missed out on the Champions Cup next year it would be a disaster even in the in the context of this season which has been terrible you know, for, for them to miss out on the Champions Cup as well it would just <laughs> you wonder where the confidence of this team would go because it's already at rock bottom to miss out on the Champions Cup would <laughs> send it somewhere even further below that. So it may not be exactly the worst thing in the world, but it's not far it, off. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. <laughs> that's that's yeah. the thing. From 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 a team perspective, it would be a good thing. But from every other perspective, it would be terrible. You know, Ulster need Champions Cup rugby. I don't think it would be a good thing from a team perspective either, because you want players to be able to show that they can mix it with the best, and you don't get an awful lot of that in the Pro 14. For my money, there's really four re- properly good teams in that competition. Does that include Ulster? <laughs> <laughs> I'm you surprised you had to ask that question. <laughs> well, Ulster currently have the seventh best record in the Pro 14, so I'll allow you to do the miles on that. And you want to see if these players can mix it with the best. Joe Schmidt will want to know if Ulster players can mix it with the best. And you're not going to get well, I say you're not going to get that chance in the Challenge Cup. There's every chance that you could get an absolute stinker of a draw in the Challenge Cup as well. Like, you know, Claremont, Leicester, Northampton. Uh, they're, they're all buzzing around in those uh, lower reaches of the league. So that's the other thing as well. I think people have this um, sort of misconstrued notion that Ulster would go into the Challenge Cup and win it. They wouldn't be the favourites by a long shot. Just you just mentioned you could get a group of Claremont, Leicester, Ulster and Zebra, which would be the group that Ulster ended up getting out of in the Heineken Cup when they went on to reach the final. I know Zebra were at Rooney then, but that is a classically you, nerdy stat. I really know. That's, uh, that's great stuff. But yeah, you could have that in the Challenge Cup in twenty eighteen. That'd be a great away trip as well. I really want to. I really want to get to Zebra at some stage. So do I actually, I haven't been deadly at all, so that'd be brilliant. Um, anyway, no, no one else cares about this. No, nobody, nobody does at all. Challenge Cup, it'd be bad for Ulster. But Just not for in, your holiday plans. In, ter- in terms of visibility, and I think we'll get onto this later when we talk about the TV deal, your visibility decreases 
next season regardless. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing in the Challenge Cup and there's every chance that you get drawn away to a Russian team or a German team, your visibility is decreasing ever more. And that hits gates and that hits sponsorship. And those are the two things, it's corporate as well, and those are the things that Ulster can't afford to be hit because that's where such a big chunk of their money comes from. Well, our second listener question in from Donald O'Reilly, who's becoming a real regular, I think. We should just start getting them in um, to recordings. <laughs> he, throw, he throws out a few in-jokes as well, which I enjoy, because he's like, remember in uh, episode three when you talked about that? <laughs> <laughs> Loves it, number one fan. Um, he uh, asked on Twitter, uh, he said, we've been talking a lot about Ulster's identity or culture, I think maybe was the word that he used. Um says that he's a relatively new fan of about nine years and just asked, what exactly is that? What is the Ulster's culture or Ulster's identity? I think it's a class question. It is, it, is, <laughs> it is a brilliant question. Which is shown by the silence. That the thing is, you always want players to show pride in the jersey. And a week ago, I was in Cardiff for the Belfast Giants uh, Challenge Cup final. And whenever they won, every single player skated over to the fans after the game with the cup and thumped the the badge on their chest. Now, these are guys, the majority of these guys are American or Canadian. They have no links to Belfast before they come over. And they completely buy in to the culture of this team that they probably hadn't even heard of before they came over. And meanwhile, you see at Ulster, you see guys who have no confidence. They look like they're going out and not giving everything in the jersey. And the results are reflective of that. So for me, whenever I talk about a culture for Ulster, I simply want to see guys who are giving it everything for the jersey that they're wearing. That they care about the fans that cheer them on every week regardless of how they're doing you know Ulster is still getting at least 12,000 to every every home game even though this season is going south very quickly you know you, you want guys to be showing passion you want them to be showing pride you want them to be giving absolutely 100% on the pitch every single time and for me that's been lost over the last couple of seasons completely and then off the pitch you've got to mirror that with um, your good your good behaviour you've got to be someone who goes out into the community and uh, represents the club with pride yeah, mate, the Belfast Giants have their own podcast I'm just using it as a comparison I, know, um, I didn't bring I didn't bring a pen into this office today, so uh, I didn't get to take any notes on what Adam was saying there. I would disagree with a few things. Um, don't sigh like that. It's a great podcast. No, I know, um, I know, I know. I was saying, ooh, not sigh. I, like, I, I don't think that the current team's results are because players don't care. I, I would disagree pretty strongly on that. The players do care. The reality of the situation is the squad that they're putting out there week on week due to both injuries, um, player unavailability, and players that have left, and players that have then been brought in. It's just not as high as the expectation is right now. Um, 
there's an awful lot of blame to go around Ulster for the situation that they're in, but I don't put too much blame on the players. To go back, oh, that was just the points that I disagreed with there, but to go back to the actual question, it's interesting to me, and I think maybe what Donald's getting at is the idea that if you say Leinster, people know what Leinster represents. It's like that sort of, and I mean this in like a good way, it's that Dublin superiority um, a team that does everything the right way, wins everything all the time, is always going to be seen as um, this huge force. And I think so much of their identity of the brand as well as the team comes from that. You take Monster, and people who don't follow rugby can tell you about the idea of the Monster identity. Um, they're just hard hard men, hard forwards, um, would they crawl over broken glass if it meant winning a rugby game? Um, that idea it tied into this, the ethos of Limerick and where rugby is a more widely played sport in Limerick and just that idea coming through, like, you know, your Peter Clossies, your Mick Galways, your coming into Paul O'Connell and Peter O'Mahony and that then ties three. Connacht, I think, have that identity, that underdog identity from nearly being wound up and always being seen as the fourth province of the developmental province. And you can see then players buying into that as well, especially with the current crop having won a title. And then you ask what, like, what would be the unique characteristics of an Ulster team? And you think back to like the team in the eighties, um, you know, with led by guys like Willie Anderson, David Arrow and the likes of them, and that was an also team that had a real identity. But there's, I think, there's an otherness to Ulster's identity in a way, in that it's not quite Leinster and it's not quite Munster, and it's sort of in between, and that is. Um, sort of strange I think like in uh, in Jerry Thornley's The Irish Times where before he's got a very good book out a few years ago now about Connacht winning the league and there's it touches on the sort of different identities of all the province and it is strange for Ulster I, I don't even know if this is still the question that was no, asked it is. <laughs> I think it's strange for Ulster it's what I'm taking from the question right? I think it's strange for Ulster in the way that they're almost between two stools because they don't have that stand up and fight 1978 beating the All Blacks two Heineken Cups monster identity but they also don't have that confidence that I would attach to a Leinster identity and with the history that they've had they don't quite have the same sort of underdog mentality as Connacht so I think the identity of an Ulster team, I think, is very hard to define. So, it's, how, how big an issue is that? If people, if you, you're trying to even attract people, or just in terms of a brand identity, if if you're sitting here, you two guys are sitting here as massive fans and going, I, I don't really know actually what Ulster are. That's surely an issue. I mean, is, is it to do with a style of play? Like, could Ulster do more in saying? this is how we play rugby and this is how all of our teams right throughout the academy are going to play rugby. This is Ulster's identity. 
what well, what I mean, can like Leinster's identity and Munster's identity in the way that I described of what I take from it, and it's a purely personal thing, um, is tied into their style of play. Like the Leinster, and Ulster don't have that traditionally. Would would you say that they don't have a long lasting? This is the Ulster style. Like, I think it's maybe just changed so much more. It's been altered so much more. Like. In a way, like the Ulster team in the 1980s had the best of both worlds because they had a brilliant backline. So much of it brought through together at Queen's. But then there were all those, you wouldn't have messed with anyone in that pack either. So you had a traditionally monster pack with a traditionally Leinster backline and that's probably the best, not probably, it's the best Ulster team ever to go... 10 years unbeaten and um, or 10, 10 straight Interpro uh, titles, you know. So it's hard to define an identity through a style of play because that team did everything so well. And then the other sort of great achievement in Ulster rugby, certainly in the modern day, is winning the European Cup. And again, that the identity of that team personally I think was tied into the fact that professionalism hadn't really kicked off in uh, Ulster yet and the style of play of that team was like we've got David Humphreys and we've got the boot of Simon Mason and if we all do our jobs we don't need to do anything that clever and it's hard to sort of build an identity (laughs) around that yeah, certainly a lasting one. I just, I, I, I just think it's, it's I, I just think it's, I think it's different for Ulster. I really do. And then, in a way, I think that the way, the best way to create an identity, or not create an identity, but hark back to an identity, is through former players. And I know that there's been efforts made by current players, Tommy Bow and KV, to sort of bring former players in. Um, I think I think it's once a month. I'm not sure. Um, bring them back into the setup and sh- you know show them around the place, have lunch with them, that kind of thing, and uh, have that tie to the past. But I I do think it's just it's strange because it's very hard to define what is a typical a typical Ulster team. Yeah. No, a very 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 interesting question, and perhaps three. Guys as young as ourselves aren't best placed to answer it. So we'll throw that one out to yourselves, I think. And uh, maybe you could get in touch and just say, what, what to you? What is Ulster's identity to you? Or what do, does Ulster rugby mean to you? I think that would be an interesting way to look back at it uh, next week and see what you all have to say. So um, please engage with that. But uh, time's ticking on. Um, we haven't discussed the TV coverage yet either. Uh, so obviously last week uh, we had the story in the Belfast Telegraph that BBC are losing their, their uh, coverage of the Pro 14 games. Um, how big a, a blow is this then to sort of um, Ulster fans? Well, the fact that they're now going to have to pay an extra subscription to see the games is a huge blow, but you got to look at this in the bigger picture and you got to weigh up the pros and cons of it. And this is the Pro 14 looking at this very much from a financial standpoint because they've gone for the money over the exposure. And it's... <laughs> it sounds like I'm avoiding the question, but I'm not because we're literally just going to have to wait to see um, 
how it impacts the league once it actually comes into effect because you can, you can't sit here and judge what's going to happen um, because for all we know every single Pro 14 fan is going to go out and buy the subscription um, but yeah look the Pro 14 have long known that they're going to have to step it up financially to compete with the likes of uh, the Aviva Premiership and the Top 14 simply because their TV deals are uh, gargantuan and you can see how that affects it in terms of getting star names into the league um, and that brings in more fans so um, it's why they brought the South African teams on board because that was going to bring in more money to the clubs as well so it's all about trying to balance that um trying to balance that bridge between the other two leagues and the Pro 14, but also making sure the league's still accessible to fans. So they've gone with the money in the hope that that'll bring more people to the stadiums to see the games, um, and also in the hope that it'll bring more big names to the league as well. So unfortunately it is one where we can sit here and we can say, uh, on the face of it, it probably looks like a bad deal in terms of how the fans are going to be able to see the league, but in terms of financially, it's definitely a good move. I not do oh, your depends. live blogs any harm either. People can't watch it on TV; they'll maybe tune into your live blogs instead. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it uh, it depends on how much extra money they're actually getting because you have to remember that Sky Sports and BBC were both paying for the league this year, plus the South African money, the Italian money, and then all the. Uh, native language broadcasters is that fair to say Um, we're all coming together to hit a number and if the number the Premier Sport are paying is the price of an extra slightly above average player in your first 15 then I don't think it's worth it so it's all about how much more money you're going to get and I don't think it's Bit of this, I think people would be disappointed when they hear how much extra money it actually is going to be when the accounts come out from the TV deal this year to the TV deal next year. When are we likely to know that? Soon. <laughs> he shrugged. <laughs> he shrugged into the microphone. No, um, we're, we're told that everything will be officially announced soon. Okay. All right, so we'll wait and see on that front then. Um, Six Nations on a happier note. Um, Jacob Stockdale is taking the proverbial now with this scoring run isn't he it's <laughs> it's ridiculous this has been passed over to me but yeah no, I read uh, about 3,000 words in today's paper on Jacob Stockdale so okay. I'm just going to let you handle this <laughs> fair enough um, no I mean I was saying to someone I, I didn't actually see the game live but I was saying to someone on Saturday whenever you've got someone like that who just has a knack for the try line um, and especially someone who can pick out intercepts like uh, Jacob's added to his game he's so valuable to you and you can overlook maybe that one missed tackle or something like that um, but he's, he's just such a dangerous player and he's part of that really young core that all, or sorry <laughs> the young core that Ireland now have um, with the likes of James Ryan and himself and Gary Ringrose a word for Gary Ringrose as well for stepping back into that team after so long out and Gary looking Ringrose like he was never away. Yeah, he he was sublime. Him, him and Dan Levy for me were the best player yeah. on the pitch. Like for, for someone to be out for so long, play one game for Leinster 
and step back into that squad like he hadn't missed a game is phenomenal. But for Jacob, he's setting records all over the place. I can't. I should have written this down. I can't remember exactly what the records are, but you know he's he's setting records all over the place. He's he scored he's right. more tries for Ireland in a single championship than anybody else ever. He's tied. <laughs> the he's tied the record for most games in a single championship by anybody. Most tries. Yeah. Most tries. What did I say? Most games. Really, <laughs> <laughs> it's just five. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I'm <laughs> guessing the record for that's probably five. Sorry, most <laughs> tries in a championship, and he's now joint twenty-first top scorer for Ireland of all time. Yeah, and what, what's the record? It's for, is it forty-six? Forty-six, yeah, from O'Driscoll. So he's still that's got a wee bit, wee bit to go wee there. Bit to do. But Tommy I mean, Bose, when you think Tommy that he's Bose got second 10. on thirty, yeah, well, if if it's he, not unrealistic. I mean, what age is he? What twenty? Twenty-one. Twenty-one. I mean, it's not unrealistic to sit here and say he has a good chance. He does. Absolutely. Well, if, he keep, if he keeps up this rate, he'll break it by the time he's <laughs> thirty-five caps. <laughs> exactly. But what? What a valuable player he is, yeah. and um, it's great that Ulster have got him signed down to a contract for the next few years because I'm sure there are plenty of clubs looking at him thinking yeah. we could do with a player like that. Yeah. Well, there'll be plenty of clubs looking at him in two years now. Well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other record was the, the over 100-year one, which I thought was good. So he's the first yeah, the, player in 104 years, I think it is, to score uh, more than one try in three consecutive Yeah. Championship matches and fantastic. You're going a while back for that. Yeah, whoever dug that style like, style yeah. like fair play. I, th- I think it was Russ Petty, who's always good for stats on Twitter. I'm not sure, right. but I think it was him. Maybe yeah. give credit to the wrong man. But <laughs> I'm just raging that there's not a market for uh, intercept tries because I was talking yeah. before and I was like, with the passes that Scotland threw and just the level of ambition that they try and play with before the game I was like Jacob Stockdale is going to score an intercept try today and there's there's no market for it you'd have been quids in Uh, looking ahead to this Saturday then um, are they going to do it is is he going to get another try too I could see him getting another try absolutely Um, staring your crystal ball there (laughs) look whenever you're on a good streak you just feel like every time you get the ball, you could go the length of the pitch. It's just a confidence thing. Yeah. And <laughs> that by no means means he is going to score. But you just when it, it, whenever, you? yeah, whenever you're on that kind of a run and you're close to the try line, you just think to yourself, I am going to get over. Um, I'm, I'm actually slightly disappointed that the championship is gone because I would have loved it to have been not just a Grand Slam decider, but yeah. a championship decider as well. And I think I think that the, it doesn't really matter. It would have made it that a little bit more interesting, but it doesn't really matter because you, you can be guaranteed that England will be completely up for it to deny Ireland the Grand Slam after Ireland did the same <laughs> thing to them last year. You know, there, there's definitely going to be a bit, of, a bit of revenge on their minds at the very least. Um so it's definitely not going to be any easier for Ireland than it would have been, say, if England had won uh, on Saturday with a bonus point. Um, it was like it was quite surreal on Saturday. I find anyway because like I was twenty one before Ireland won a Six Nations title or a Five Nations title in my lifetime. Like, and now they've won three out of five, and they won on Saturday. It's kind of like. 
Yeah. Okay. That's grand. <laughs> on on to the next. And like, if you think about it, like yeah. growing up throughout the nineties, if you ever thought you would be vaguely ambivalent towards a Six Nations title, you would have thought you were off your rocker, like. Mm. And that's but that's how it felt. It was very much. It very much felt like a semi final. Yeah. It, it felt so anticlimactic, and I think it. I think it didn't help that Ireland didn't actually win the Six Nations yeah, title yeah. with the win over Scotland. It was because of another result. And it's also really strange going into the last weekend of the Six Nations and the title is now not up for grabs. Yeah. Um, but if, if they weren't to win on Saturday, probably Ireland fans would come away from the championship feeling disappointed then. They would, they would they certainly win. end yeah. it. I mean, like Adam mentioned it there, but like I was in the Aviva Stadium last year and the same thing happened in England and just watching their like, uh, them lifting the trophy <laughs> with scars on their faces, like, and you know, doing a as Ireland sort of did a lap of honour, having <laughs> won the game, and then England are in the middle of the pitch lifting the trophy. It's like, it's a very bittersweet way to yeah. end a championship, and it's it can only really happen in the Six Nations. Like, there's no yeah. other way that you can like yeah. win a trophy and come away being like, Ugh. but yeah. uh, I mean, like J- Johnny Sexton was talking about it, and he was like. Uh, Johnny Sexton came back out to the media like two hours after they normally would um, just to give the papers sort of fresh line on the fact that they'd won the championship because when the first press conference was done they hadn't and you always sort of forget I certainly did anyway that he's never won a triple crown mm. like I, I obviously was aware that he hadn't won a grand slam because he was just on the fringes of that squad but like for everything he's achieved with that Ireland team like even a triple crown something that's still elusive so you've got players like that who have been searching for this for a very long time and you've got the two players again mad that there's just two of them it feels like Rob Carney and Rory Best who have done it before looking to cap off the latter end of their careers with another big tick box on the CV and then you've got boys like James Ryan and Jacob Stockdale who've never even lost a game for Ireland yet so there's a real there's a real mix of that squad and their ambitions and Johnny Sexton was just talking about how this week he's going to make a real point of the fact that to the young guys, just because you've come in, don't think that these opportunities come around very often because they don't and that was why he got onto the Triple Crown because in 2010, um, he's not that he wasn't annoyed but like when they blew the Triple Crown, he's like, well, I'll get more chances and, it, you know... What, eight, eight years later, and he still hasn't got one, you know. Well, in a in a word, because time's taking on, who's going to win? <laughs> I was actually speaking to, sec- to the I was speaking to the security guard downstairs, and he said it was going to be a draw. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would be the most bittersweet thing to ever happen. I know. <laughs> no, I nobody would literally. Everyone would be upset. <laughs> I I am going to go for Ireland. But, but it will be. No, in so a word, tight. the words are. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. At the very start of the championship. You guys do not understand. In a word, that's why it's It's a podcast. Tell. We're supposed to be talking, <laughs> not wording. That's why we're already up to the minutes that we are, and we're already past five o'clock, and I want to go um, Before the championship, I said Ireland would win, but they would lose to England and win the other four games. But I'm going to change that. Um, I'm going to say that Ireland are going to win. Right, so Ireland would have sufficed. Anyway, moving on to the, to the screen. I, I just wanted to get both in, so <laughs> I was either right 
six weeks oh, yeah. ago. Okay. Right, <laughs> uh, the Scrooge Cup then um, obviously comes to its thrilling climax on Monday. Um, as a little aside, the Scrooge Cup is like the most popular thing that's ever happened in the Belfast Telegraph Sports section of the website. Like, it's mad. Mad. People love the Scrooge Cup, it would say. You keep Bizarre. saying that like it's a good thing and it's not like very very upsetting to me <laughs> when I sit down and craft all these articles and it's like your boys and your live blog and the Skills Cup is the most popular thing that's ever been done well, I was actually thinking actually. about this the other day and I was thinking there are a thousand people watching the live blog as the second semi-final came to an end and I was thinking at one time no at one, one time, time. Oh. one time and I was thinking to myself imagine if there was a thousand people who were there now I know people have work and stuff like that so this isn't like a complaint yeah. but just imagine if those extra thousand people are at the game like that, that would make the atmosphere so much more better. And the well, atmosphere was great. The one I was at, but it's, it's, it's already the best atmosphere well, Kings fans yeah. in the season. Yeah. So. Easily, uh, Royal Armagh then against Campbell in the final, and um, we didn't really see that one coming. I suppose the, fi- the final that we all predicted. Slash <laughs> yeah. nobody. Uh, who's gonna Who's gonna win it? Of what you guys saw, both semi-finals. I only saw one. So, who uh, did you saw it as well? Didn't you? No, I was actually, uh, because they switched it because of snow, it wasn't that I like booked off a school's call semi-final. <laughs> they switched the game because of snow. I had tickets uh, to go see Spurs. Oh yeah, of course, I forgot about that. Uh, Spurs won out. Yeah, anyway, let's say the better. Well, they didn't so, win out uh, on the night, that's for sure. Adam, um, yeah. you saw both teams then at the I semi-final, did. so in your informed opinion, who do you think's looking the favourite? Um, well, I have to say, first of all, that the Armagh Inst semi-final is one of the best games of rugby I've watched, full stop. That finish was unbelievable. I mean, you're on the, end of the, on the edge of your seat for the final five minutes. Um, you're the but third for, person to say that game that you missed was the best one that we've ever seen. For me, Campbell's defence against Methody was what won them the game, and... It was so well structured, so brilliantly organised. Whenever you compare it to how loose Armagh were um, against Enst, while they were good in attack, their defence was exposed on too many occasions um, against Enst. And I feel if Campbell put in another good performance, there's enough weaknesses in the Armagh defence that Campbell can uh, make the most of them and then hold their own at the other end. So... I think Campbell are the favourites going into this one, um, especially if they can uh, if they can get that defensive performance going again. What about the sort of key players then? Of these two teams, um, Donovan, you saw Campbell playing. Who impressed you? Uh, the two centres for Campbell really impressed me. Um, one of which I'm told is used to be a flanker until very recently. So that once I find that, I I find that unbelievable because <laughs> I thought he was really really good. And then somebody was telling me that he used to be a flanker until like halfway through the season, which is uh, seemed insane to me. But there you go. Um, Campbell's Campbell's pack were really really impressive outside the outside the midfield. Um, they just made their tackles so so reliably. Like obviously we don't get stats for this kind of thing in the skills cup, but their tackle count was through the roof whenever Methody were attacking, and then they were very clinical as well. Um, sort of how you would expect a Neil Doak side to play like there were strike moves there um, off the set piece and then they were very clinical in the way that they went or when they decided to go wide they executed it very well and that's not something that you often see at that level just the execution of those things 
to be honest, to be honest, like I was really impressed with uh, Campbell, and I know obviously having not seen Armagh, maybe it doesn't put me in the best place to comment, but um, very very impressed with them on Tuesday. Adam, what about Armagh? Who's the the danger man on um, Well, I was really impressed by number eight Ryan O'Neill. He's a really big ball carrier, and he's used for most of their ball carrying. For them to have someone like that who they can break off the back of a five metre scrum or off a mall, it's really handy. He's got a real knack of breaking tackles. But then in the backs, they've got uh, Zach Thompson and Matthew Rainey. Uh, again, the centres, which will probably prove to be a big battle. Um, Rainey was really good in the lo- in really loose open situations. Um, so, I mean, whenever Armagh get that forward platform they are very good I mean the, there were times where Ince didn't quite get onto their mall and the mall was a real potent weapon for them especially with O'Neill coming off the back of it um, but then if, if you go out the backs they're just as dangerous so for me if Armagh can sort of work their mall uh, like they did against Inst, especially in the early stages where Inst were still sort of getting to grips with it um, that's where they'll get most of their purchase. Okay, so on to the clubs. Uh, time running out, but uh, here we go. Um, good win for Bambridge last weekend, who we had tipped to beat Ballymena. Jonathan, you missed that because you were on it, but anyway, we had tipped say, Bambridge to beat Ballymena. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> I would have um, done anyway, for the record. Uh, no, nah, doesn't nobody care. <laughs> yeah, it, it was very strange talking to the guys afterwards because they're very disappointed that they didn't get the bonus point from their win over Ballymena, and I can see why. Um, so I mean, they go top of the table, but these guys are saying we really thought we should have got more. And to be honest the chances were there for them and I'm not going to take away from the victory because when it's so tight at the top, getting wins is just first and foremost, especially with the run-in that uh, the teams have, but maybe that bonus point could prove crucial at the end of the season, but look Bambridge get the win and Balamina are now in serious difficulty down at the bottom, so uh, they've really got to start picking up a bit of form uh, with so few games left Bambridge sitting pretty though and after that game Adam spoke to Captain Adam Irvine and Robin Sinton Guys who's leading the singing at the end there because that was a very rising rendition of the Star County Down Yeah I think it's definitely Robin he's yeah. very good acapella um, Yeah sort of joined in by most of the boys I think it was a group effort <laughs> uh, Lads of course a good win there and you're now top of the league as well how does that feel? Uh, yeah I mean top of the league but I suppose it was Shannon and Hinch both have to play but Oh, it's nice to get that on the board, get the four points, but could have done with the bonus there at the end. Probably the fellas are a little bit disappointed by that, but um, we'll move on. I do you feel like it maybe went a bit begging there? Yeah, I think we could have done a wee bit more just to secure the bonus, but I suppose what do you do? How do you guys feel as a squad? Because it is obviously your first year in Division 1B, but you're top of the league. Like, Did you think this was ever possible? Hey, I suppose as a group, we tend to, I know it's a cliche, but we do tend to go week to week and we have our targets um, and we've hit every one of those. So I suppose when you bring that into the equation, then of course it's possible. But to do the clean sweep against both Balamina and Hinch probably shows how far we've come as a club. That We're also very disappointed here that we didn't get the bonus point. But as a club, yeah, it's brilliant where we're at, but not finished just yet with three games to go. 
yeah, you're in a good run of form with three games to go. Do you feel like you can keep this going? Yeah, it's just important to go just turn up training like Tuesday, Thursday and do your best and sort of keep the tempo and keep the skills up as high as we can to go in to the match on Saturday and play the best of our ability because we know we can come out at the end of the game with a win. So Alan, what about the rest of the games then on Saturday? Yeah, so as we said, I'll just round up Division 1B very quickly. Uh, as we said, Bambridge go top of the table. They're three points clear at the top with Hinch and Shannon both having games to make up. Uh, Ballymena have now slipped back down to ninth and into the playoff relegation spot after Old Wesley won in midweek. In Division 2A, Malone's march to, to the division title continues after their 32-17 bonus point win over Galwegians at Crowley Park. That means the Craig Red Sox are now 12 points clear of second place Highfield, having played a game more. And in Division 2C, Oma came out on top against Sligo at home, winning 22-14. However, Bangor lost narrowly to Tomond at Liam Fitzgerald Park. They were edged out 16-10. That means Oma jump above Bangor in the table to fourth, and the Final playoff spot on 41 points. That's the same as Sligo in third. Bangor and I fifth on 39. Toman still lead the way on 46. And we have a few fixtures coming up this week. Uh, in Division 1B, uh, Balna Hinch are away to UL Bohemians. That's next Monday, so Monday the 19th. In Division 2A, Cashel play host to Queens on Saturday. And in Division 2B, Rainy Old Boys are away to MU Barnhall on Saturday. And Dungannon host Navan. That is on Monday the 19th. Well, after that big win for Uma then, um, Adam was there as well as being a Bambridge. Did a big road trip of Ulster on Saturday for a play to him. Uh, he spoke to Uma's Stuart McKeon about the victory. Yeah, well, it keeps us in the hunt for the top four and ensures we're totally safe now, which was really the objective at the start of the season. So we have to be happy, but hopefully we can continue to push on now. It's a tough game out there, especially with the wind. How are you managing that out there? Yeah, it was tough. We had to win the first half and I think we made pretty good use of it and took our chances when we got them in the second half. We toughed it out. I thought we played some smart smart rugby in the second half. You kept them out of them all there just at the very start of the second half. How crucial was that? Yeah, there's key moments in the game, isn't there? And I suppose that was probably one of the turning points where if they had got a score there, they had a big foothold in the game going into the second half. But those are the key moments and sometimes they go your way and today they did, so it was great. Looking ahead, you seem to have quite a favourable fixture list in the last three games. Do you feel like you guys could maybe make a push for the title? Look, well, at the end of the day, there's a couple of three, maybe three or four teams still above us, and they are obviously their favourites, and they'll fancy their chances. And favourable, I'm not sure whether it's favourable or not, because these guys are fighting for their lives. You know, Bactiv will be pushing to try and make sure they stay in a playoff position and don't go down, and Broffers fighting for top four. So there's still all to play for, but hopefully we can get a few positive results now coming at the end of the season. And that's pretty much us for this week. We'll be back next week. We'll look back, of course, at the school's cup final. We'll have some audio from that. We'll also um, be looking at the Six Nations and hopefully celebrating a Grand Slam for Ireland. And we'll look ahead to Ulster's uh, first game in a little while. They're away to Cardiff. Um, but also, they will have done something else. By yeah, then. probably. probably. <laughs> there will be plenty to discuss. I can guarantee there will be at least one more discussion topic. Yeah. <laughs> so, from Adam McKendrick. Cheers, guys. Jonathan Bradley. Thanks very much. And me, Gareth Anna. Thanks for listening.